Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, that the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up, my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pray regard vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Galen, for the reading of the word of the Lord this morning. Let me open us in prayer one more time. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word, that through it we may know you and know about you and know all that you have meant for us to know, that you have revealed yourself to us, not only through creation and everything that exists in our world, but also through your specific divine revelation of your word. Um, help us to uh, tread the waters of, of understanding it and studying it uh, as, we, as we go through our day today. Um, we're thankful for you and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in our third week of Jonah, and we haven't even talked about a fish yet, right? What we know about Jonah is there's a fish. That's generally what we think about anyways. But I spent a lot of time this week thinking about if I was trapped inside of this great fish with no idea how long I'd be in there, how would I try to pass the time? Right, so here are some of the ideas that I came up with. And maybe after the service, I'd like to hear some of yours too. So my first idea was it would be the perfect place to open an all-you-can-eat sushi bar. <laughs> You'd be the only one who could eat, but it'd still be a pretty idea. Um, I thought that I could spend some time walking around with my hand up to my face, like the old Verizon commercials, saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Um, I thought that it would be a good time to practice singing rounds by myself. If you're not familiar with the round, it's commonly done with like 
row, row, row your boat, right? Where you come in and someone comes in later, you just use your echo, row, row, row your boat. Your echo would come back at you while you keep going and just keep it going for a long time. Um, I thought, I already talked to myself some, so using my echo, this would be a good time to better my conversation skills with myself. Um, might start a fish fry. Um, I figured this would be the good time to begin flossing. But seeing as I'm probably stuck in this fish until I die, not really myself I'm worried about, it's more about the fish. So we should start flossing the fish. Um, I thought, since we're gonna be underwater, it'd be a really good time to work on my Ringo Starr impression and sing, we all live in a yellow submarine, myself. Uh, I would spend a lot of time in prayer hoping that someone's out there trying to find their own Moby Dick, um, that they might save me. And I would probably spend some time thinking up a plan for how farmers insurance would turn this story into one of their, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two commercials. But in our reading today, right, and Jonah in general, as much as we like to think of a whale or a great fish, the fact is, is that the fish isn't really the part of this, uh, important part of the story necessarily. He's more like an extra in a movie or maybe some set dressing, right? You're not really supposed to focus that much on the fish. It's kind of like when you watch the original Star Wars you know, now known as episode four, and there's a scene where you can watch a stormtrooper hit his head on one of the, on the beams on the ceiling, um, and it's really distracting. That's kind of what the fish is. He's that stormtrooper you're not supposed to notice. And if you've never noticed that before, I apologize for completely ruining Star Wars for you now. Um, but right, it's, he's not supposed to be the focus of our attention. Instead, the fish that swallows Jonah is one way in which God shows his mercy and grace to Jonah. We've seen Jonah continually suffer through trials that really stem from his own decision to run from the Lord and from the calling that the Lord gave him back in chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, the storm, like that, yeah, so now his trial is, it was the storm, now it's in three days inside of the belly of the fish. Right, but this whole experience is meant to teach Jonah and us a few things about the trials that we go through in life. So our first thing we're going to learn is that trials are meant to bring us closer to God. If you'll look back at Jonah with me, um, I'm going to start at the beginning of our reading. So chapter 1, verse 17, I'm going to go through chapter 2, verse 6. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. 
At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. Right, Jonah's response to being lost at sea, stuck inside of a fish for who knows how long. Right, I'm pretty sure there wasn't a sign when he got swallowed. There's like, it's only going to be three days, dude. You can wait. Right, his response is that he writes a psalm. Uh, and this psalm is very reminiscent to psalms we already have. It's very reminiscent to Psalm 42, which we just sang, and Psalm 18, which we'll reference later. Yeah, so I got to think, what did Jonah first think when he was swallowed by this fish? I have to think back to the end of chapter 1, slightly before verse 17. All right, Jonah tells the sailors to cast him into the sea. I think in, in asking this, he was just hoping to die, right? Because to him, dying would be preferable to the calling that God had given him to go to Nineveh and to preach against the evils that the Ninevites had committed. Right? But the crew tried to do everything in their power to save Jonah before eventually they run out of options and they do cast him overboard. Right? But in verse 3 of our reading today, Jonah is able to admit to himself that it is God who ultimately and providentially cast him into the sea and not the sailors. Right? Jonah tells us here in verse 2 that he was in distress as he was thrown into the sea. Maybe he had hoped to die, but once that situation became a reality, his mind was quickly changed. I think he suddenly grew a healthy fear of death as he was cast off the ship. Right? The dark waters of the Mediterranean that surround him would be the grave that he had hoped for. Right? He finds himself descending into Sheol, or to us now, hell. Right? But this sudden fear is kind of like what we would call today a deathbed conversion. Right? Realizing his situation, Jonah, who was... At this point, right, last week I called him the prodigal prophet, has now turned and cried out to God for salvation instead of continuing the run. Right? The waves and breakers crash over him, surrounding him and swallowing him. He's kind of rewriting that entire last song that we just sang. I'm thinking back to that bridge. Deep calls to deep, waves of unbelief. Breakers crash and bring me falling to my knees. It goes on and on and on. Where is my God? My salvation is in you and you alone. Right, Jonah is truly feeling the full weight and depth of that bridge that we sing. And how often have we felt this same way as Jonah and as the psalmist for Psalm 42. Right? For many of us, our testimony of how we came to Jesus, know Jesus hinges on a deep trial, just like Jonah's here, where we felt like we had nothing left, or where we felt like we were lost without any guidance or without any way back to the normalcy that we once knew. Right? Certainly, I think this is how Jonah was feeling running away from God and feeling like he was being punished for his backsliding. 
Right? But part of coming to faith is realizing what our true nature is. Right? We have to come to the realization that we are wretched sinners. That we are slaves to the sins that bind us. We also have to recognize that we are unable to conquer these sins on our own. Right? That it's not, that it's only through the God that saves us that we are able to overcome the sin that is in our lives. That we are in desperate need of a savior. And we have to realize that God hates sin and that we're completely undeserving of God, right? Because we have fallen so far in our lives. But from the beginning, before creation, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to save a people for himself, right? Before the foundation of the world, he had a plan to send his son to live that sinless life that we can't do and to bear our sins on the cross, right? And that only through our faith in Jesus are we able to be saved, right? The work that he did is not a work that we can do. In fact, the only work that we have contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary to begin with, right? The truth here is that God here is saving Jonah, not casting judgment upon him. God is showing Jonah the grace and mercy that Jonah needs to be able to show the Ninevites that he has been called to preach to, right? He's going to have to be able to show them grace and mercy as well to preach repentance to them. Through this struggle for life, he is able to turn back and seek out the God of his salvation. I'm sure at first he felt like this was all judgment, that this was all just the case preceding him being cast into hell. But eventually it brings him to his knees and he repents. He turns back to God and he says, he claims, yes, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Just like it said in Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Right, Jonah has changed from thinking that going to Nineveh will be the end of his days and that he, would rather, that he would rather run from God's commission or die to knowing that God is the one in sovereign control and that he will turn and see the God of his salvation again. Right, Jonah has experienced what we're told throughout the New Testament, that trials are ordained by God and that the testing that trials bring serves to bring us closer to God. James tells us this as well this is in James chapter 1. Um, this is James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right, as I mentioned earlier, these trials that we suffer through can bring us down but the testing of our faith 
produces steadfastness. Just like a marathon runner needs to work up their endurance to make it through a marathon, so does God test us to strengthen us and bring us closer to Him so that we can continue to endure and push through and persevere to the end. Right? The trials that we face not only bring us closer to God, but it points others to God as well. Right? My short time here at Grace Point has already shown me great examples of this. Right? As I hear more and learn more about some of the tragedies that happened here before I came, I constantly hear stories from y'all about how much they pointed you all back to Jesus. Right? That you saw their faith in the midst of their struggle, and that pointed you to Jesus. And it pointed them to Jesus. Right? That sometimes we're able to see Jesus working the most through some of these trials. And Jesus himself pointed to this trial of Jonah as being the sign that he was who he claimed to be. In Matthew 12, verse 38 to 40, he's talking to the Pharisees. And uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah spent three days and nights in the great fish, Jesus also spent three days and nights in the heart of the earth in the tomb after his crucifixion. And multiple times Jesus says that the sign that he will give of who, that he is who he claims he is, is the sign of Jonah. I cherry-picked one time that he says this, but it's multiple times throughout the Gospels. Right? And this is the great sign for all of mankind. Right? Because we know that not only was Jesus crucified, bearing our sin and guilt on the cross, but it doesn't end there. Right? The good news is that he rose from the dead and defeated death three days and nights after dying and spending it in the tomb. Right? Similarly, the sign of Jonah also brings Peter redemption. Before the crucifixion, you might remember that Peter is sitting in front of a fire while Jesus has been taken, and three times people approach him and ask him, Weren't you with him? You're a Galilean. Don't you also know this Jesus of Nazareth? And each time he denies Jesus. But then after the resurrection, Jesus pulls Peter again to a fire. And at this fire, Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you. Jonah runs from the Lord and completely turns his back on God. But through what Jonah thinks will be his death and judgment from God, instead he has three days to pray and have his heart changed. And like Peter gets to turn and say at the end, yes, 
Lord, I love you. That's not all that we learn or Jonah learns through this trial. We also learn that trials teach us that God is sovereign. Pick up where I left off in Jonah at verse 6, chapter 2. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. <clears throat> Jonah has finally come to realize that he can't do anything without the Lord's will. He can't run the Tarshish. He can't run from the Lord. Heck, Jonah can't even die without the Lord's permission. Right? This whole experience has reminded him of who is truly in charge. Right? From the depths of the sea, the roots of the mountain, God is able to hear the cries of Jonah. Right? He is able to hurl the storm at Jonah. He was able to call the fish to swallow Jonah. He's even able to call the fish to vomit Jonah out. If God wanted to, he certainly could have just killed Jonah for his transgressions and for running. But his sovereign will instead is to save Jonah and have him complete the calling that he has been commissioned to do. For us, we also need to realize that in all of our hustling, and overworking is all for nothing if it isn't what God is calling us to do. Just like Jonah running from God, right? He can hurl a great storm to stop us. He could have a giant fish pop in Atlantic and eat you as well. Right? When we try to wallow in our misery and just hope for death to be metaphorically cast off the ship in our own depression, it is God who can reach out to us and save us from that. Right? He can send a great fish to save us from the depths, just like he did to Jonah. Right? When we're in these trials, we're able to look to heaven where Jesus now reigns, just as Jonah was able to look to the temple in Jerusalem. Right? Psalm 18 is kind of quoted in in Jonah, but more like a paraphrase, but I'm sure he was thinking of this as he wrote. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 3 through 6, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. 
just like with Jonah, the Holy Spirit is able to intercede for us when our groanings are too loud for words, right? encourage you to continue to seek out the Lord in prayer during our toughest moments and trials. For some reason, when we need the Lord the most, the ploy of the enemy is to make us turn away and rely upon our own strength. But for once, we can actually look to Jonah and see a good example here of how he did eventually turn to the Lord. I don't know where in the three days this happened, but it did happen eventually at least. Jonah says he will see God's temple, God's home again. We often gloss over the importance that the temple had to the Israelites. The temple would have housed the Ark of the Covenant, would have had the mercy seat, and the throne upon which the glory of God had made his own home. where God had led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the land of Canaan as a pillar of fire and smoke, where his presence was, and where only one man, one day a year, could enter into the presence of the Lord. And even then, he had to be extremely careful to not die in the process. Jesus says that this temple would be torn, and it was. It's not needed anymore because Jesus now reigns on the throne in heaven above. But the Jonah, the Israelites at the time, and for all the prophets, the temple in Jerusalem was the absolute most important place on the face of the earth as it housed the sovereign creator of all things. And God can hear him from the depths of the water as he cries out. He can hear him from inside the belly of the fish just like he can hear us from Atlantic or from our basement or from our bomb shelter or whatever we have that we think we're completely safe from God in. Jonah knows that he will once again see the temple, that the God he would run from had not forsaken him. Instead, God, the sovereign one over all salvation, had sent this fish to swallow him, to protect him, and to bring him back to dry land so that he could complete his call. Now, none of us have literally been swallowed by a giant fish. Or if you had, please find me after the service. I really want to hear the story. Um, But what did God do to bring you to your knees and to know him as the one true awesome and holy God. Where did he find you? All right, at some point, we were all running from God. It wasn't us that found God, but it was God who chose us, regenerated us, and sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies to him. That's the love of our Savior. We know that we will go through trials and temptations in this life. We're not done yet. Jesus even tells us that we're going to be persecuted because he himself was persecuted. It's not something to be scared of. My view of church history is that the gospel thrives in these periods of times of persecution. 
Um, just like we see with these individual struggles where someone's going through a trial and it brings them closer to God and we see that and it brings us closer to God. I think the same thing happens corporately with the church. When the church is under persecution, people see God working through it. So, how do we respond to the trials that, are, that we face in our lives? Do we wallow in self-pity, depression, and loathing like Jonah? Are we waiting to be cast off the ship or killed? Or do we continue to lift our hands and worship, celebrating what God is working on in our lives? Do we realize that he has a plan that is much deeper and far-reaching than we can ever comprehend? Right? Some of you may be in a trial right now. Your instinct is likely to run and to hide from God. Let me remind you, he's omnipresent. You cannot run from him. You cannot hide from him as much as I cannot hide behind this clear pulpit from you. But I want to first, if you are in this situation, thank you for coming and gathering together with us to worship God. That's a tough thing to do when you're in these trials and you're trying to run, but I'm proud of you for continuing to run, to at least take this step towards God, even when your heart may not feel like it. But I want to encourage us to not focus on the troubles that are at hand today but on the calling that God has given to us. I want to encourage you to share your burdens with others so that we as a family can come and help you. Right? Seek out Jesus, who may be using this trial that you think is judgment, but he might be using this trial to bring you closer to him. Right? Remember, this world is not your eternal home. Right? For those who have faith in Jesus, heaven is your eternal home with him. Right? He may not be judging you in this moment. He may be saving you. Right? Recognize that God is the one who is sovereign over everything. Thankfully so, because he has the eternal vision on what is happening, and we only have the vision of what's happening right now. God is outside of time, right? He sees past, he sees present, he sees future, he has ordained it all, right? Rely on him and his perfect will. And if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today, please find me after the service. I would be happy to tell you about Jesus and to walk you through how you can come and start building that relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for saving us out of the deep, that you have saved us from the pits, from the depths of the ocean, from the roots of the mountains. Um, that it was your sovereign will and that you sent your son to come and die and bear our, the weight of our sin and guilt on the cross because we are completely undeserving. 
We did nothing to earn this, but we're so thankful that you love us and that you have done this for us, that you chose a people for yourself. Help us to remember to keep our focus on you as we continue forth. Lord, we love you and we're thankful for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.